This is Josh Kanak, and I'm a sales agronomist in CHS Ag Services in Hazel, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network, CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Whitney Pittman, reporting from the International Crop Expo at the Alaris Center in Grand Forks talking with Dr. Ian McRae, University of Minnesota professor, talking aphids. Uh, your presentation this morning was about some pressures we had last summer and what we were seeing there. What caused some of those issues and what was unique about last year? This is more an issue for um, seed growers. The disease that we've been working with is potato virus Y. It's worldwide spread virus, but it's also the probably the largest problem to getting you know, certified and disease-free seed. It's transmitted by aphids. Uh, not all viruses get transmitted this quickly, but PBY does, and it's one of the reasons why it's such a large problem. In fact, the transmission rate is so fast that traditional insecticides probably can't kill the insect fast enough to prevent the disease from being spread. And so there are a number of insecticides that are designed to stop aphids from feeding. Many of those will work quite well to, to limit transmission, but ordinarily it's it's... You know, standard one is not going to kill them fast enough. Not all aphids are equally good at transmitting the virus. A really bad one for transmission is green peach aphid. And what we saw last year was, you know, we weren't seeing a lot of risk. There weren't a lot of aphids out there. There weren't a lot of really efficient vectors out there until about the end of July, which is unusual. And then the last week of July, we started picking up green peach aphid. That must have come from somewhere else. They don't overwinter here, so we knew... It came in somewhere, and what I was talking about today is a kind of little detective story of how we figured out probably where it came from and what that might be useful as a tool down the road. One of the, the uh, important things from this project is we get that information out to seed growers so that they know, uh, okay, we're seeing a lot of the potential for uh, transmission is getting higher, and they make decisions that they might want to, you know, maybe put on oil, they may want to start spraying these anti-feedant insecticides, and that's kind of where that project goes. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. That is, again, Dr. Ian McRae from the University of Minnesota joining us on the Red River Farm Network from the Alaris Center in Grand Forks at the International Crop Expo. I'm Whitney Pittman. The cold temperatures and blizzard conditions slowly improving across the region. National Weather Service Aberdeen meteorologist Carrie Flegel says this afternoon should see the last of the snow fade away. We're seeing slowly improving conditions across much of central and eastern South Dakota as well as North Dakota. Still some uh, road closures and areas with no travel advised that people should be aware of and check with the local DOTs on before heading out. But for the most part, across especially northeastern South Dakota, snow's coming to an end late this morning and early this afternoon, and the winds are going to be slowly diminishing. Our uh, blizzard warning goes just for another hour till about noon today. So definitely improving conditions, snow and wind-wise. Temperatures in the Dakotas remaining in the single digits and, uh, and uh, nor northern Minnesota as well. The Minneapolis area and southeast can expect temperatures in the low 20s. Snowfall across the three-state varies widely. In Chanhassen, they had 12.1 uh, inches of snow. They've also had some other observations in the southern metro area of 13 to 16 inches and a few uh, reports of closer to 15 to 16 inches. Central to northeastern South Dakota, um, much of our snow ranged from about 6 inches to 12 inches. And it's definitely a widespread snow event. 
National Weather Service reporting uh, St. Paul having 12 inches and Don reporting nearly 19 inches at Streeter, North Dakota, 16.8 at Air, 18.8 at Colfax, and 16, uh, rather 6.6 at Jamestown. Regular rounds of rain are expected across Paraguay and much of Brazil for the next two weeks. World Weather Incorporated says rains will increase in Paraguay and far southern Brazil through Sunday and then spread northward through central next Thursday. World Weather says central and southern Brazil will see another round of rains beginning March 3rd through the 9th. Welcome rains fell across central Argentina yesterday, but the dry weather pattern is expected to continue for another two weeks. World Weather Incorporated says crop stress is likely to increase. However, it will not be totally dry. Parts of eastern Argentina will see scattered rain showers into Saturday with more widely scattered rain showers next week, Wednesday and Thursday. The widely scattered showers are expected again then late next week into the following week. Temperatures mainly in the mid-80s to mid-90s, a couple upper 90s, and low 100s beginning next Tuesday through Thursday. U.S. Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack addressed attendees at the 2023 Agricultural, Economic, and Foreign Trade Outlook Forum. Vilsack talked about the importance of addressing agriculture's labor shortage. I want to talk about another challenge and issue that we face uh, in, in agriculture, and that's the notion that our food and agriculture industry that contributes nearly $7 trillion to our economy, which is about one-fifth of the economic activity of our country and is responsible for a significant percentage of the employment in this country, is very dependent on farm workers. The reality is when COVID hit, we got a wake-up call about farm workers, and we deemed them essential employees. Uh, and the pandemic put a spotlight on the importance of this workforce in terms of agriculture. The pandemic highlighted the challenges of labor instability, the challenges of irregular migration, and the need for increased labor protections. Vilsack says addressing labor shortages can put resiliency back into the supply chain. And all of these challenges need to be addressed in order to increase the resiliency of our food system and supply chain. I've made it a, a priority of ours to try to improve the resiliency of our food and agriculture supply chain, which means we need to address the labor shortage here in agriculture. Now, while I hope that our congressional friends take action to address the systemic challenges that growers and farm workers face, I'm committed to doing everything we can here at USDA. So leveraging resources again under the American Rescue Plan, we, in coordination with other federal agencies, are developing a farm worker pilot program to provide support, a set of incentives for agricultural employers to hire H-2A workers from North Central American countries. USDA released its grain and oilseed outlook for the year uh, this morning calling for higher planted acres of corn, soybeans, and wheat. According to the USDA, combined acreage for the three crops is projected at 228 million acres, nearly 3% higher than in 2022. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Thursday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. While USDA's acreage estimate for corn came in about as traders were expecting, Corn Belt Marketing Market Analyst Sam Hudson says corn demand and carryout is the issue. You know, what I can, you know, I'm concerned about here moving forward is the fact that demand on the front end here, corn for this old crop, is still pretty poor on the export side of things. We probably have more cuts to go there. Uh, and despite all that, you know, these numbers still add up to a, a carryout that's almost 1.8 billion bushels for next year. Even if you shave off a couple hundred million and you, and you, and you say, hey, you know, we end up somewhere between a billion five and a billion seven, that's more like $5 corn than six. 
The soybean acreage estimate at $87.5 million, or million should support prices. Uh, you know, at 87 and a half, that, that's a number that has to hold together, in my opinion. Um, you know, we are a lot tighter, comparatively speaking, in soybeans right now as it sits today, and our demand has been hanging tough uh, as a contrast to corn. Uh, we're still, you know, around 5% stocks usage and export sales and inspections are both ahead of pace. The Argentina drought and the fact that, uh, you know, the front end of this Brazilian harvest has been kind of wet has given us probably an extra 45 days of demand that we maybe not have planned for. Uh, but that keeps us kind of down to a pipeline supply, and that necessitates those bean acres. Uh, I think the big thing we uh, have to look for, though, is, is the changes from March to June and what could be had from an abandonment in, in, in wheat acres out west. USDA sent out its prospective planting surveys earlier this month for the USDA March Planting Intentions Report. National Ag Statistics Service Chief of Crops Lance Honig is asking farmers who received that survey to please respond. We're looking at response somewhere around 60%, uh, give or take a few points either way. So we factored that in uh, to the sampling and the other methodologies that we use uh, to help ensure that these numbers stay as accurate as possible. But again, best thing you can do if you want the numbers to be accurate is fill out those reports and get them back into us. And normally only about 60% of producers do respond to that survey. The weekly report from the Energy Information Administration shows ethanol production for the week ending February 17th at 1.03 million barrels per day. That is up 15,000 barrels per day from the previous week and 5 million barrels per day more than last year. Ethanol stocks are up 200,000 barrels to 25.6 million barrels. Grain markets continue to say range-bound with both upside resistance and downside support holding. Martinson Agris Management President Randy Martinson thinks there could be some market fatigue. The market does look tired. I mean, you know, we've gone up and we've tested these levels. We we just really haven't been uh, seeing a lot of activity over the last three weeks as the market seems to be waiting for something. And I think right now, you know, seeing that our basis levels are widening out, that uh, Brazil is uh, starting to capture more of the exports from, from China, I think that's starting to cause a little bit more uh, pressure into the market rightfully so and you know we are also looking at you know needing to start looking ahead to our 23 uh, acres base and i think that's helping some of the new crop uh, markets especially soybeans uh, where the others where corn thinks it's got its acres martinson says the news is lacking to push this market through resistance and buying returns at those support levels exactly it just we have enough to get there but not enough news to break us through that and uh so right now, I would expect that we could see a little bit of a pullback in these markets uh, short term. I still think we can't go down too far because we still have tight stocks. Uh, you know, it does look like with the outlook form numbers that we're going to build stocks, but we're a long ways away from getting that crop planted at this point. Milk production in the 24 major dairy states totaled 18.5 billion pounds in January. That's up 1.5% from January of last year. Minnesota milk production increased 1.1%. South Dakota's milk output rose more than 9%. Minnesota's dairy herd declined by 1,000 cows in the past year. Meanwhile, an additional 17,000 cows were added in South Dakota. The cattle range released their estimates for Friday's cattle on feed report. Placement estimates look to be heavily drought influenced. Analysts are predicting placements at just over 97% from a year ago. 
Marketings are expected to come in around 104%, and cattle on feed is estimated to be at 96.1%. That USDA report will be released at 2 o'clock Friday afternoon. For more information from the Red River Farm Network, visit Facebook, Twitter. You can also find stories, podcasts, and more at rrfn.com. Reporting agriculture's business, you're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. It's National FFA Week, and here's Whit Red River Farm Network's Whitney Pittman with a report. To celebrate youth in agriculture and agricultural education during the National FFA Week, the Red River Farm Network is highlighting the success stories of former FFA members from Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Haley Maddock is currently serving as North Dakota's state FFA vice president. Maddock says FFA runs in her blood. It has always been a family thing to be in the FFA. My last name is Maddock, and then our chapter name is Maddock, which is pretty cool. So my parents were very involved in FFA. My dad was the state president. And it was kind of an expectation that I was going to be, I was going to be a part of this organization. So I got involved in seventh grade. My FFA advisor, my chapter advisor, was Gary Wald. He was very influential in my life. He was the one who pushed me to get involved in prepared public speaking. I definitely would not have done that without him pushing me out of my comfort zone. And he was always the guy in my life who was encouraging and believed in me. He was always there to pick me up and make me feel better about the situation. Maddock is impressed with how diverse FFA has become within the learning opportunities from activities or other members. The youth organization is more than cows, plows, and sows. There are just so many different things that you can learn at FFA. There's so many people, different people you can meet. It's not all honed in on agriculture anymore. So the horizon of different areas that you can learn from is it's just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, my favorite part about FFA has always been the people and getting to learn from everybody else and from their experiences. So I guess I would definitely tell them that to get involved, you need to make sure that you're talking to other people and learning that way too. Red River Farm Network's National FFA Week coverage is sponsored by the Minnesota Agricultural Education Leadership Council, Proceed, Nutrient Ag Solutions, and the Northern Canola Growers Association. Follow RRFN's National FFA Week coverage on Twitter, at RRFN, and Facebook. Reporting agriculture's business, I'm Whitney Pittman on the Red River Farm Network.